Jesus, here we are. Here you are. Thanks that you always show up. Even if sometimes it feels like it's last minute. Because you're faithful. And you're good and you're for us and you're with us. So here we are to meet with you. Amen. Hi. My boys semi-survived yesterday. I'm Chris for, for the for visitors that I haven't had a chance to meet. There's a couple of you. but My wife went down to Pasadena for a conference. And she left around 8, got home around 11 p.m., left at 8 a.m. And those of you that got the email, you saw that only two of the four of us made it through the day unscathed. <laughs> the other two got, got bloody lips, got fat lips from uh, my parenting, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, but for the most part, here we are. So, and I'm glad that you're here, too. I have a really awkward question for you. You guys okay with awkward? You're going to be like, how, do, how am I supposed to answer that? How many of you came here this morning to hear me teach? Think through your answer. Okay. How many of you came here to meet with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit? Okay. That's what I thought. Good. Because from my end, this might, you ever felt, all right, I bet you've never sat in a sermon and you were like, I want him to actually speak longer. You ever had that happen? Or you're like, I wish he would just go on a little bit longer. I'm sure that happens all the time to you, right? This might be the first day for some of you. This is what I wanted to ask. I'm really glad that we're not an organization or an institution, that I'm not the CEO of this beautiful thing that Jesus is and the Father is and the Holy Spirit is because if it was me running the show, yeah, use your imagination. Let's just say that it's really good that God's a part of this thing. When you come here and when you meet with this group of people, do you sense God's presence in our midst? The peace and the sweetness and the tenderness and the anticipation and the joy and the delight. So this morning, all I know is that we're going to meet with God. I really have no idea what it's going to look like. So my question for all of us is, and I have some questions for you, and I do have something on my heart, but, but I don't have the full picture, as some of you are used to by now. So who has something that as we were worshiping, or maybe as you were making your way here this morning, or even over the last couple of days, who of you has something on your heart that you sense is part of the tapestry that the Holy Spirit's going to weave this morning? I know that there's one for sure, but who has something that you, you think is, is a part of what God wants to say to our family this morning? Pamela. I want to, I wanna, well, let's see first, but then, yeah, I want to actually give space to share. But so, Pamela does. I know Mike Fry does, because we already talked about it. Chris might. <laughs> Maybe more to come. Okay. 
Can we hear what that is? Yeah. Pamela, would you mind? Make sure, if you would like to stand, you can. The important thing is you project. What's that? Okay, so just make sure everyone can hear you. Yeah, yesterday, or last Sunday, sorry, we, thank you, Tora. Last Sunday, we talked about um, a really fun Christian term, the word surrender. One that everybody hears and you're like, yeah, let's, let's talk more about that. But, but we came at surrender from a different angle. We talked about surrender as, as being a form of playfulness. And, and the, the point was, what if we just didn't take life so seriously and try to control so much because we knew that ultimately God was working things out? And that's one of those things that's easy to say. But then as soon as you become a parent or a boss or even a human, it's not that easy always to do. So that's kind of the conversation we've been having. So submitting, God will have God's way. Yeah. Mike, do you feel like what you had, is, is this a good time for that? Yeah. So that, that has been on 
So with all that said, isn't it cool to hear what other people are hearing and, and sensing? I had one word come to my mind. I said, I said Father, what's on your heart for Sunday? What do you, what do you want to say? And I got one word. I try to live by the rule that um, there are some things that as soon as you try to force them, you kill them. You know what I mean? Like some examples. For any of you artists or musicians, you try to force a song out of you. You know, you, the, the creative process, you, as soon as you force it, you kill it, don't you? Romance, as soon as you force it, you've killed it. And I think this is in the same category, that as soon as we try to force a message, force a talk, we've killed it, because it's not just about having words to say, it's about leaning our head up against the chest of Jesus and hearing the heartbeat of God and letting that come out in whatever form. But I got one word, and I'm like, what do I do with that word? The word was faithfulness. Faithfulness. And I thought, okay, now it doesn't really make sense to me, God, that you would be asking me to speak to Coastlands about the importance of faithfulness and all those pastors about being faithful in the small things and things like that, because I feel like that's something we get. I don't feel like that's what, what we need to hear. I mean, I think about Mike and Betty and Greg and Kathy and and Bree and Cameron and, I mean, Eric and Janie and everybody that, like, Chris and Carrie, these people that, seriously, I mean, everybody that works with the kids, everybody that does hospitality, we get faithfulness. The, there was one huge breakdown this morning, and you know where it was? It was the mechanical. It was the sound equipment. <laughs> Broke down on us. But when it comes to people, like, this is a faithful group of people. You feel like that? I mean... You look around, it's not like you're like, oh, what a bunch of slackers. I was thinking, what's the opposite of faithfulness? I couldn't really think of it. I thought maybe flakiness, selfishness, you know, but, but that's not what kind of people we are. So I was like, God, what do you want to do with that word, faithfulness? And the sense I had was, the father was just saying, I think that some of my kids are in a situation where they need a reminder of just how faithful I am and that it's not dependent on them. Does that resonate with anybody right now? I think one of the problems with the word faith, and faith, the term itself, actually can be used in an abusive way in Christian circles. How many of you have ever felt like you did not receive an outcome that you were hoping for because you did not have enough faith. Have you ever had that thrown in your face? Raise your hand. Yeah. I remember uh, a friend telling me a story. Somebody in his family was, was passing away. It was his uh, mother-in-law, I believe, was passing away. And this boyfriend of one of the daughters, one of the granddaughters, I guess, was, was adamant. If we just as a family have enough faith, then she will be healed. You've heard that argument before, right? And so you know what my friend did? He went to this guy, and he, because it was becoming antagonistic, it was turning into almost condemnation over the family, like, you guys don't. It, it wasn't just an encouragement, have faith. It was a, you aren't having enough faith, that's why she's not being healed. You've been in that situation, huh? And so my friend went to this kid, and he said, all right, so let me ask you this. How many people... 
does it take to have faith for her to be healed? Is one enough? And the kid was like, yeah. And so he goes, all right then, it's you. If she dies, it's on you. But faith almost becomes like this barometer for us that if we don't have a measure of it, then we don't get to live this victorious life or we don't see outcome A, B, or C, right? But have you ever really thought about how much faith is enough? How does, how does that work? How much faith is enough? What's, what's faith the size of a mustard seed? How do you quantify faith? And first of all, where do you find a container the size of a mustard seed? And second of all, how do you get your faith to take that form? You see how unhelpful this conversation can become? <laughs> I used to think, and you have verses like in Hebrews 11, it says that faith is confidence in things hoped for. But what I think we do sometimes is confuse confidence with certainty. Have you ever done that? We confuse confidence with certainty. We think, well, faith means I'm going to be certain that this is going to be the outcome and that God's going to show up. Question for you. How many of you have flown on an airplane? Were you 100% certain that that plane was going to take off, fly, and land safely? 100% certain? No? Why did you get on then? Are you stupid or something? No, I'm just kidding. That's what my boys would say, but... Why would you get on a plane if you aren't 100% certain that it's going to take off and land safely? Are you crazy? What were you doing there? You were hoping. Yeah, that's a great thing to stake your life on. <laughs> I'm just hoping that 35,000 feet in the air, everything's going <laughs> to stay intact. You're exercising faith, aren't you? in the equipment, in the pilot. But you just said that it didn't require 100% certainty. So how much did it require? Just enough for you to step onto the plane, huh? You see what I'm kind of trying to say, maybe? Is this landing for anybody? Like, are you, do you find yourself in a situation where you're like, God, I really need you to come through, but what is my end of the deal? What is my end of the bargain? Where this goes for me, see, when you look at the scriptures, faith is something, actually, that you can quantify. You know that? When you look in the scriptures, faith is something you can quantify. You know about how big faith is? Anybody have a guess? A little bit bigger than a mustard seed. It's bigger than a mustard seed. I don't know the exact height. I'm guessing probably 5'9 to 5'11, with a beard, probably almost as nice, maybe even as nice as Brian's. With a darker complexion than Brian, with the name and face and body of Jesus. You know that when you look in the scriptures, the word faith and the name Jesus are used interchangeably? You know that faith isn't some feeling that we need to fabricate or muster up, or you ever feel like that? Like, just have enough faith and you're like, okay, how do I do that? How do I muster up that ah, faith? 
Faith is not something that's meant to be fabricated. It's a person that's meant to be trusted. Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, let's just look at it real quick because I'm going to get it wrong if I try to paraphrase it. Listen to what, what Paul does here. Did you hear that? So Paul is talking about faith in a certain way. He says that before faith came, we were imprisoned by the law. And then he continues on the same logic. And what does he do? He says, but when Christ came. Faith is a person. It's Jesus. Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Guess what? That's fine for us. Because Jesus has more than enough faith for all of us combined, ever. And it's a good thing we don't rest on our own. Most of the scriptures that say something, 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 faith in Christ, do you know how you could actually often more accurately translate that? Faithfulness or faith of Christ. We don't have to muster up enough faith Because Jesus already is enough faith. He is the faithfulness of God. There's that verse in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. N.T. Wright, who I think he has some good ideas, a scholar that I learn a lot from, He says that that word righteousness and that phrase righteousness of God, I think it's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's something like deokasune, theo, the righteousness of God. He says that's best translated covenant faithfulness of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the covenant faithfulness of God. You don't need faith the size of a mustard seed because you have faith the size of Jesus. And he's plenty big. Does anybody feel like they're in a, a stage right now in a season where you know that God wants to do something, but you just can't see it, and you feel like you're losing staying power? Anybody? Yeah. We're not going to hear, but I just want to see if that's, yeah. Can I share two stories with you real quick, and then we'll see who else has a story, and then we'll pray for each other? It was... June, June 30th, 2012, was when Sarah and I, well, June 29th, actually, which I'll come around to that. June 29th, 2012, was when Sarah and I pulled in to Morro Bay from Boise, Idaho, after just moving back from China, June 29th. The next day, we were supposed to have found, we were missionaries in China. We had our, we lived on basically donation-based support, so it was 30 days after we left China. We were supposed to be finding a new ministry to work with because otherwise we weren't going to have anywhere to process, what, two-thirds of our income? 
We were basically on the verge of losing two-thirds of our income for not having anywhere to process our financial support through. That's exciting, huh? So we got an extension up to December 31st because we were like, how are we going to find a new ministry to work with in one day? Doesn't really happen that often, does it? So we got an extension to December 31st, and we had to find a new place to process our financial support through, otherwise we were going to lose a lot of income. Around 1.32 in the afternoon, December 31st, I got a phone call from a guy who leads a YWAM ministry out of Kona, Hawaii. And he was in Morro Bay. He leads a ship's ministry. They take these ships and sail to places all around the world that cannot be reached by air or land. So he had a ship that was going down the coast, and it broke down in the Morro Bay Harbor. Fortunately for us. He calls me and he says, hey, I'm in town. Do you want to get together? So we went and we saw the boat and everything, and we went and we're sitting down at Taco Temple, which good things happen at Taco Temple, right, Tyler? And uh, so we're sitting down at Taco Temple. It's 4.30 Pacific time, 5.30 Colorado time, which is the time the accounting office closes in Denver. It was the time that our last check was able to be processed through. We told this gentleman our situation, and he said, oh, all you need is a new place to process your support through? And we're like, well, yeah, but we don't have, like, we're just recovering. We don't have a ministry that we're working with or connected with yet. He said, who cares? Your family. All I have to do is send an email, and you're in. So 4.30, December 31st, he sent an email to Texas saying, hey, can Chris and Sarah Fela, basically Chris and Sarah Fela are going to process support through me as a part of my organization. Now you guys are like, oh, okay, that's cool. No, we're talking like two-thirds of our income. <laughs> Just got rescued there. Down to the last minute. Those were some stressful six months, weren't they, wife? And the other part of that speaking of stress, was this pressure sitting over me, not from anybody, except for one person that calls me husband. I'm not going to say who it is. <laughs> husband, why don't you just get a job? I don't care where. I don't care what you're doing. Just do something. Husbands, I know you've never heard those words before. Right? Just do more than you're doing now, <laughs> which for me was not much. <laughs> Hey, keep your comments to yourself, please. <laughs> the reason that I could not just go out and get a job, I applied for a few things. I applied at MindBody because who doesn't want to, you know. But I obviously was underqualified for MindBody. And I applied a few other places. But, but I knew that God had something for me. I just had no idea what form it would take. And so I refused to just go do something for the sake of doing something and remove myself from a space in which God could actually do what God was calling me to do. Erwin McManus once said, he said, we pray for miracles, but we spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. You ever done that? Can I say that one more time? We pray for miracles, 
and then we spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. So I said, all right, God, you're calling us to something, but I'm not going to force it because I know that you have something in your heart for us. When Sarah and I just pulled in tomorrow Bay and we were praying, it was, we'd been here a month or two, and we were praying about what God wanted us to do, we felt like God said, in two years from when you got here, I'll show you what I want you to be doing. Until then, trust me. Two years is a long time to be a slacker, even for me. Now, I wasn't a slacker. I was working on my master's degree, and I was traveling and teaching, probably what some people would say, too much. I would go all over the place. But I didn't have a local place for myself to land. And, and it was about, yeah, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but let me, let me give you the, the gist of it. We'll get around to the faithful part, and then we'll move on from there. If you do the math, two years from the day we pulled into Morro Bay was June 29th, 2014, when Sarah and I were standing up here getting ordained by Cody and Greg and Kathy, Mike and Betty, and Dan Hodgson to begin pastoring at this church. It was two years to the very day that we had pulled in. Not a day earlier, not a day later. God is faithful, but sometimes just the timing is really frustrating. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who's sitting in that right now? Or let's ask this. Who has a story similar to mine where over the last even couple weeks or month, you, you've seen something that when you're in the midst of it, you're just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I just want to take control of the reins right now. But you didn't. And God came through. Does anybody have a quick story like that that they could share with us? No. Okay, my message is in the right. No, I'm just kidding. Aaron.
That's cool. So you, but as looking back over the last, you know, over your life, you see those different moments and it helps you kind of anchor to, hey, (laughs) there's the real CEO of the operation. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know that about your program, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. So you'll have to bring us in on how it all pans out, right? Chris, you had something you're going to share briefly? Okay. Okay. All right. Hold on to it. You'll know when it's the right time, right? Yeah. Betty Fry looks like she, what? You have something? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, uh. Hey, so you know what? There's, I want us to pray for each other, but practically, what does it mean that Jesus is our faith? You know what? I have no idea what that means practically. I have no idea. But I think it means that I don't have to have it figured out. Isn't that partly the point? So what is our role in all this? Can I read you a quote and then we'll pray for each other? That was a rhetorical question. I'm going to read you a quote. I don't even know this lady's first name. Starts with a D. Last name, Darlene. She said this. Faithfulness is the new radical. I want to be radical. You know the word radical actually comes from the word rooted? Like we think of radical and we think off, bouncing around, doing crazy things all over the world. The word radical actually comes from the concept of being rooted from roots. Faithfulness is the new radical. The dirty secret of success is the ability to just show up day after day. If you want to see God's faithfulness, I guess the lesson that I've learned over the last 15 years of trying to be radical for Jesus is just show up. Just show up at the guy's office. Just show up in front of your professors. Just show up. And Jesus is like, hey, those gaps that your faith can't fill, I'm more than sufficient to fill that gap. So can we pray for each other? Who's feeling like, some of you indicated that you sense this, there's a 
place in your life, your heart, where you're, you're kind of waiting for that thing to come. You're waiting for that outcome, that response. But who knows that they would like some prayer from somebody or somebody's this morning? Is there anybody that is like, yeah, I would really like some prayer for perspective and patience? And Okay, so Tony would like some prayer. Joel, right? Yeah, Joel would like some prayer. Who else? Who's like sitting in the midst of a situation where you're like, Jesus, I can't fill the gap of what I think is in my heart and what I would like to see. Help. Is that Bree's hand up? <laughs> Janie, you going to say something or you would like prayer? Okay. No. Simon. Okay. So, hey, these ones have taken a stance of vulnerability, which, as you'll know, vulnerability, thanks to Brene Brown, is all the rage lately. But Brene Brown is actually catching on to what Jesus has always known. That when you actually put yourself out there and say, hey, I need some help in this regard, grace comes flooding in. So thank you guys, especially some of you, it's like your first time here. So thanks for feeling safe with us. Um, So the rest of us that did not raise our hands, feel free, and I would actually highly encourage you to be listening to the Spirit of God and saying, who do you want me to connect with and who can I help fill the gap for? Who would you like me to stand with while they're in this place of uncertainty? So um, let's have a few of you. So we had Tony over here. Can a couple of you come? And trust me, you really want to get to know this guy. You don't, but you really need to get to know this guy. So can we have a few people come over and join with Tony over here? Go ahead and do it now. Don't, Don't wait for me. So a few people come join with Tony. A few people come with Simon. Let's just, everybody stand up for a moment, please. Stand up for a minute. Let me just say this as a preface into prayer time. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Karl Barth? He wrote about what, eight books, and each one brought that thick, and yeah, they're, they're kind of significant. But he said this. He said, God refuses to be God without us. God refuses to be God without us. What does that mean? One of the things it means is that we don't just stand from a distance and kind of look at our friends that have raised their hands and say, oh, God, do something there. God invites us to participate in the building of their faith and them living out of the faith of Jesus. So, Janie, you had your hand up? Will you put your hand back up? So everybody that wanted prayer from somebody. So Joel, Simon, who else? Bree, Tony, anybody that would like to take us up on that offer now? Okay. Let's come around, make sure that everybody has somebody around them, and let's ask them if they want to share any specifics, any details. And just listen to God with them. And let's see how the faith of Jesus wants to come and land in their circumstance. So Holy Spirit, thanks that we're not about forcing it, that with you we don't have to force it. Because you're already doing stuff. You're already moving. You're already speaking. You're already encouraging. We don't know the outcome. But we know that you're good. We know that you're faithful. So help us to see things right now that we just can't see yet.